Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. My patient today is John DeBarry. He is the author of Drink What You Want, which is a book that teaches you how to make custom cocktails. And John knows a bit about that. John was a bartender at Please Don't Tell, which was one of the coolest bars in New York. We used to try to go there because there was a phone booth that you had to go through at a hot dog restaurant. And then you would lift up the receiver and try to get a table. We never got in because it was so popular. But from there, John went on to become the bar director from Momofuku restaurants for over nine years. So in today's episode, we talk about getting written about by Julia Moskin in the New York Times. And it was like the best um, euphemism for gay that I've ever heard. She referred to me as a courtly bartender. On faking it till you make it as a bartender. So people would come in early on and they'd be like, hey, like, can I get a Sazerac? And I, that that word was new for me. And instead of being like, oh, I don't know, I'd be like, yeah, totally, fuck yeah, I love that drink. And then I just like sort of discreetly like go to the bartender next to me and be like, what's a Sazerac? And when to cut people off. If someone else in the in that I'm working with expresses a concern, then I'm there's nothing. I have no choice. So without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with John DeBerry. Well, John, it's so nice to finally meet you. I've been following you for a while, and uh, thanks for coming on Lunch Therapy. Yeah, of course. So before we get into your psychology and your lunch, uh, <laughs> I, we were just tweeting because I, I just tweeted a little bit about lettuce and how I don't always wash my lettuce. And you said you wash your lettuce with soap and water? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Is that, was that like a post-COVID thing or was that a pre-COVID? No, I've done it for years. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I have like very uneven views on like hygiene and cleanliness. Um, so like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so there's that. Um, but I feel like it was something I feel like it's one of those things where like the, man, the kind of manufactured demand of like seeing like fruit and vegetable wash mm-hmm. at like Whole Foods in like 2009 um sort of for, created that that idea and then i realized that like it's just diluted soap and so like a lot of times like with lettuce like there's lots of like sand and like you know with greens like it can be you know a little dicey uh and so i just started doing it like you know i chop the lettuce or whatever kale or you know whatever leafy thing and just put it in like the salad spinner and then fill the salad spinner with water and then like usually just run the tip of the soap bottle underneath the, the water to like just rinse off some of the, the soap so that's like literally like a dash of soap okay and then just like give me a little like a little hand agitation and then just like rinse it a few times and it's always like sparkly and clean and i think it tastes better wow um, i mean also it's like lettuce has been the source of e coli and all kinds exactly of yeah yeah so it's not crazy yeah. that you're doing that but it's funny because like for me it's like when the box says like triple washed or if i get it from a farm oh that's stuff i don't wash yeah. Oh, it's just a final wash. If it's washed, yeah. but if it's like the romaine hearts or anything where it's just, it's, if it doesn't say washed on it, then yeah, I'll do that. But if it's the washed thing, then I usually don't bother. Oh, you don't bother? Okay. Because I get it from these guys at the farmer's market who assure me that it's very clean lettuce and I trust them. And it's also like, when you think about like chefs handling your food in a restaurant, to me, there's not a, a huge difference between like a farmer picking lettuce and washing it and putting it in a bag and a chef like grabbing lettuce out of a bowl and putting it on a plate, you know? Right. Yeah. And also like my mom had this phrase, she said like, it's clean dirt. Oh, <laughs> where did you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, um, I'm so curious to hear, I mean, we're going to get into your whole psychology and your career and stuff, but just to, just to get started, um, with the whole drinks of it all, I mean, you are a cocktail guru and I'm curious, <laughs> how did you, how did you get started in the world of cocktails? Uh, really randomly, actually, uh, it was not, I, you know, I went to like a fancy, I went to Columbia. I was like thinking I'm going to go to law school. I was like prepping for my LSATs. I, I worked for the city for two years as investigator, um, investigating uh, misconduct allegations against the police. So I was like on the kind of white, like the white collar, like, you know, Greenwich kid, um, like life track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my friend Don Lee, who, who uh, we uh, lived in the same apartment for a few years in college, uh, he's this like, you, you talk about cocktail guru, he's like the guru of gurus. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he was part of the opening team for PDT, which is this, mm-hmm. you know, speakeasy in, in the East Village. Um, I tried to go there went... so many times and never got in. That's the one with the it's phone tough. booth, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 it's 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 small and yeah. there's no standing and so you know it's just like a volume thing um and although now they're on resi i heard which is way different from the literal pen and paper that we used uh, when i was there <laughs> uh, um and so um i went a few times and i'm like oh my god this is so cool i had taken the columbia university bartending course which was like hmm. kind of a joke um but I got to drink for free on a Thursday night uh, while, when I was a freshman. So that was fun. Um, and so I kind of knew a little bit about making drinks. I always was into cooking. Like my mom was a big kind of like Martha Stewart clone sort of mm-hmm. vibe and, you know, very like lots of cooking and, and hosting and, and, and um, entertaining. Um, so it was kind of like, it was not super foreign to me, but I never actually considered it professionally. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I went to Japan for a couple of months with a friend of mine to kind of do like some English teaching in the typical like early twenties, post-college kind of travel, um, mentality. And I came back, I didn't have a job. And I sort of asked everyone I knew ever if I could work with or for them or if they knew anyone. And sure enough, I asked Don and he was like, sure, why not? And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> uh, and so I didn't really have a lot of I had literally zero experience as a bartender. Um, and fortunately I got to train with Don and a lot of the other bartenders who were there. Um, so it was kind of an, I wasn't totally, you know, just set to the wolves to, 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 you know, crash and burn. Um, mm-hmm. So I did a few training, training shifts there. Um, and then I kind of got sort of hired officially by Jimian, uh, who was the, who then on, then became, then on, went on to become an owner. Um, and then, it just sort of spiraled out of control. Um, like I got maybe within a couple of months of me working there, I was sort of obliquely mentioned um, by Julia Moskin in the one of her mm-hmm. like pr- critics journals. And it was like the best um, euphemism for gay that I've ever heard. She referred to me as a courtly bartender, <laughs> um, which I love. <laughs> I want to be like, a courtly you know, bartender. Is, yeah. Is he courtly, you know? It sounds like uh, a Beethoven like, song exactly. for the piano, the courtly, <laughs> the courtly bartender. bartender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And then like a couple months later, I was like, I was like quoted and I had a picture in the mm-hmm. New York Times and it was like, whoa, like this is like, just sort of one of those things that 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 really just clicked when it happened and i had been working as a 
as like a bureaucrat for the city for two years and it was kind of a bleak job and it was a lot of work that you would sort of send off into the ether and not a lot would happen or people would just be upset with you because it's really hard to prove allegations of the misconduct against the police sure. um believe it or not mm. mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh and so it was cool to be able to do something that was real where you'd be able to like have a person sitting in front of you you'd like talk to them you'd create something for them out of you know not thin air but you'd construct this thing for them that only was valid for like you know the immediate period of time that you were constructing it and they would eat it and drink it and they would their their state would change they'd be happy they'd be you know inspired or um you know the alcohol probably didn't didn't hurt either (laughs) um but it was like a really great like tangible um way to 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 like to have a job and then they paid you like that was like you know it was just like it, it happened and you could walk away um and now and it was done and um i sort of didn't look back and then a couple years later maybe like one or two years later at, at the time i was like balancing like an office job and so i would which was a kind of a hectic schedule and then i quit the office job and then i got a job uh bartending at momofuku sambar so i was like mm-hmm. twice a week between there and pdt and then Gradually, I transitioned from working behind the bar at Sambar to uh, sort of a, a part-time, um, like semi-part-time, uh, like bar director, and then it mm-hmm. sort of that became full-time bar director in 2013. Um, so I opened uh, ten restaurants for the restaurant group, and I oversaw the bar programs, uh, trained, hired, trained staff, trained people who trained people the managers uh so that's what kind of like made it easy for me to write a book that was for Mm -hmm. teaching people how to how to um how to think about drinks from from square one uh because a lot of times you would take just raw talent just like you know build them up as bartenders um so yeah that's that's the kind of drink (laughs) trajectory uh, yeah that's fascinating Well, I have so many questions, but I think the best way to start is just to ask the big question, which is, what did you have for lunch today? Today I had, um, it's funny because I, 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 my eating pattern is pretty odd when it, when I'm alone. Um, I, I generally just eat like what I eat, like ingredients, I snack a lot. So like, so today, like I had the fact that I, okay, so I took frozen peas, um, and I thawed them and then I put on this, like, I mean, I tried to make like this like vegan bucatini, uh, um, what's that word, a frittata last night, mm-hmm. um, which turned out very tasty. But like I used this like this like fake egg stuff, that's mm-hmm. sort of this like scrambled egg in a bottle that's actually really good, but I didn't use enough of it. So it kind of just fell apart. Um, it didn't like hold its like frittata cakey shape. It was just sort of like baked pasta which was really good <laughs> uh, so then i put that on top of it and i microwaved it again and so that was my composed that's a very composed lunch as far as i'm concerned whereas usually i'll eat like a i'll have like a handful of walnuts and then like a grapefruit and then like four tofu hot dogs with ketchup <laughs> yeah you mentioned tofu hot dogs in your email I eat a lot I of ca- kind of hot dogs yeah hoping for a tofu <clears throat> hot dog diagnosis but if i have to like <laughs> sum up sum up your your lunch it was thawed peas with um a heated up leftover bucatini frittata on top yeah and the bucatini, and bucatini frittata had yeah, yeah. Uh, broccoli um red peppers uh jalapeno like you know interspersed got so. it 
So when you cook savory food or you cook for yourself, um, do you approach it the same way you approach a cocktail? No, not at <laughs> what's all. The, what's the difference? For me, I, um, I don't, I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess it kind of, yes, in a way, because it's like, if I, I would never create, I would never just like sit, sit, sit at home and be like, oh, I want a Negroni and just like make a Negroni for myself. Like I would have like a beer or like, just like gin and ice. You know, I, I, I don't care enough about my own, like, I'm not trying to impress myself. So I just really, it's all about kind of functionality and like convenience. Um, so like, I usually like cook for my husband and we do have like meals um, you know, like normal people, but when I'm like alone, it just devolves really quickly into like half a box of Oreos and like <laughs> cashews huh. and like real like college kid shit. But yeah. Well, it makes me think that you really enjoy serving others, like, or taking yes. care of others. Yeah, for because sure. Because even yeah. when you described like bartending, you were saying that like to give somebody that pleasure, to give somebody that moment was what you're about. And then when yeah. it comes to feeding yourself, it's sort of like not that, not a high priority for Dirt you. Dirtbag central. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. But that's really, I mean, but I think that makes a lot of sense for people who are in the service industry or who, yeah. you know, I, I feel like I'm the same way. Like it's very similar. Like when I'm home alone, like I'll just eat like beans and rice or something, something exactly. like really simple. And when my husband's here, I'll like go all out. Um, but so, but I also thought it was really interesting that you said you would, you wouldn't make a cocktail for yourself. So so the, the cocktail stuff is really reserved for like your profession and, and yeah. not, like your hobby. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess it would be different if I didn't have kind of professional encouragement to develop drinks. You know, I have, you know, I do writing, I develop recipes, I have consulting clients. Um, and, and so I have kind of like, that's, I'm sort of not forced to do it because I enjoy it, but it's, there's like a reason to do it beyond just my own enjoyment. Like I'm not just curious about something. It'll always mm -hmm. be in the context of like work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I will make a drink for myself, but it will be, okay, well, let's evaluate like this recipe or I need to do X, Y, Z for a client. Um, yeah. So let's do that. So I have enough of an outlet, I guess, whereas I don't, so I don't really need to um, satisfy my curiosity because it's just yeah. part of my life anyway well it's funny because when i go on vacation with friends they're all like oh what are you going to cook for us like and it's like no like that's what uh -huh. i do yeah. all day you know in my normal life so i i totally get yeah. that like when you're home it's like the last thing you want to do is the thing you do at work but yeah i guess totally. one of the one of the questions i wanted to ask you is when you said when you said you you started working at pdt and you didn't know anything like what were the things you initially learned that set you up to have this career like what what about your mentorship or like the things that, that you were taught were specific and helpful along the way? Well, there's, I mean, I think there's two sides to it. One, I think that um, going to, going to, go, studying at Columbia, which um, it has this core curriculum um, where they basically like, you're, you're compelled to read like all the classics and like this art stuff and sort of like, um, you know, basic kind of like humanities, et cetera, et cetera. It's very you know, kind of Western focused still, but you know, it's, they, you have to read all the, the classics and everything. Um, and all throughout those classes, like there were core class classes and everyone, you know, it wasn't, you know, so everyone kind of knew what the deal was. And the teachers would always be like, oh, you know, like you're going to be a doctor or whatever. And it's just really that important to me to you to like know what Hume said, but like, you'll be great at cocktail parties. Um, <laughs> And then sure enough, like I actually a professional cocktail party um, <laughs> person. Right. 
Um, and also, but it also taught me that, you know, you have to like, it taught me how to like read quickly and study because you're just like, you have all this coursework on top of other, your like major or whatever. So you have to be really efficient in terms of like studying and being able to, to, to learn like deeper structures so that you can apply specific knowledge on top of that in a lot more easy way rather than kind of learning these isolated bits of information and trying to piece together you kind of like it makes a lot of sense to front load a lot of studying uh mm -hmm. so that you have an easier time learning so I, I applied that to bartending and so pretty much as soon as I realized I'm also like a really anxious person and I have tons of performance anxiety so like everything <laughs> I can do to prepare uh, yeah. so I think almost like maybe I was like reading like Gary Reagan's Joy of Mixology, like on the walk home from my first mm. like training shift. Um, and then just like read every book I could, you know, like imbibe the Joy of Mixology, um, David Embry's book, like every, every bar book. I mean, and back this was like 10 years ago. So there weren't, weren't that there were plenty, but there weren't as many as there are now. Um, so I just read and studied. I had flashcards, like, <laughs> really? What were on your um, flashcards? Like, what would they say? Like, the like... recipes for the drinks, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and also going, I think that I don't know, maybe I, also like going to a, a college where you have to, you know, um, you're forced to engage with classes that you may not have prepared for is that, mm -hmm. um, it's really, really good at like confidently saying things that you don't, yeah, <laughs> you don't really know, like fully are 100% true. so yeah so people will come in early on maybe like hey like can I get a Sazerac and I, that that word was new for me and instead of being like oh I don't know I'd be like yeah totally fuck yeah I love that thing. <laughs> and then I just like sort of discreetly like go to the bartender next to me and be like what's a Sazerac <laughs> and then and then yeah so so the confidence uh you know a little bit of like unearned confidence was also very helpful for me and mm -hmm. um for some reason like I have, I have like lots of like stage fright and like anticipatory anxiety for like performing. But then when I'm actually in the moment, it's totally fine. And my friends are always like, John, you're this person who's like in the corner at a party, like petting the person's cat who you don't even know. <laughs> like, and you're this like gregarious, like bartender who's like Mr. Man. And I'm like, I can't explain it either. Um, well, so yeah. Also another, another thing that appealed to me about it is that it sort of like, turned on this like other mode for me it's funny like our last guest um or two guests ago was um this stand-up comedian zach schiffman who lives in brooklyn and he had a very similar thing to say which is that he's kind of private about like his sex life and stuff but when he gets on stage and does stand-up comedy he's like he's an open book it just all comes out of him and it sounds like for you like that being a bartender is like the stage for you or like you get to yeah. share this other side of yourself. Well, I have to say, this is a sidebar. This is my own therapy, but I'm very triggered by your uh, Columbia experience because that was my early decision school. And oh. this, was, this was like in 1997. And I remember Barbara Streisand's movie, The Mirror Has Two Faces came out which is when she played a Columbia professor who teaches a class oh, wow. on like sex and romance. And it made Columbia look so beautiful. And I was so excited <laughs> to go there. And then I got rejected early. Like oh, I just like no. completely. So yeah, I'm very jealous that you had <laughs> this wonderful education. Um, but what was I going to say? I got, oh, it, was I mean, my early, it was my early in school too. I, I gambled it all on Columbia. Well, I I, I'm very envious. Well, I was going to say, I mean, one of the really interesting things about you, I feel like as you talk about like your personality and you talked about, confidence or being shy or being outgoing it's like your public persona from what i've seen like from like instagram and stuff like that 
made would make me think that you were like the most outrageous, like larger than life, like the last person to be petting the cat at the party. Like, so it's just funny because like there's something tension there. Yeah, I mean, I think also that's that's like <clears throat> how how different I am now than I was ten years ago too. Like, I I feel like if you saw pictures of me from 10 years ago you'd just be like who is this person and it's sort of I, I feel like I've been the same person I feel like I've been like a, an old person for sort of as long as I can remember but I also feel like there's some sort of semi-superficial aspects of my personality that are like radically different mm-hmm. um and like kind of not giving a fuck in a kind of a I don't want to say like um, in like a recklessness or like careless kind of way, but kind of in a um, it's like a in like a almost it's almost like a it's like a thrill to take risks mm-hmm. kind of way, sure. um, and so just like doing outrageous shit and like being stupid um, is fun, uh, yeah. and you can get away with it, and then it becomes this sort of like weird addiction. that makes a ton of sense yeah was I just reading or something about like oh I was I'm reading the Mike Nichols biography and they're talking about the movie Wolf that he did with Jack Nicholson and he was trying to understand the central metaphor of the movie because he felt he felt like werewolves were not a good metaphor for the human experience and somebody was trying to explain it to him that like a werewolf represents like your id coming out and just like your pure, yeah. just like un- so, so, as you were describing that I totally get that um well one thing I wanted to ask you was about mixology and and cocktails as, as somebody who went to Columbia and like clearly has likes to think deeply about things like what is it about cocktails that sustains you or like that you still find fascinating or like what what's what's the depth or like the complexity to it that makes you interested in it I think for me, it's about, um, there's a lot, I mean, I think there's a few things, but like, I think the two top two that come to mind are like the, the transformational aspects of making drinks. And I think that's also very true of cooking, um, where you're, you're, you're applying kind of like intention and planning to something, to ingredients, to transform them into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really fascinating to me because it's just, it's, it's the creative act mm-hmm. um, ultimately. Um, and then also there's just, it's very like, um, like multidisciplinary, you know, not to be like uh-huh. too, you know, dorky about it, but like, you know, there's, there's um, so many different little rabbit holes to jump down. Um, there's like distillation and spirits, um, and you know that whole that whole element of it but then there's like you can go into the supply chain and you know ingredients and you know how you know how farm the farming conditions are affecting you know the ultimate product and then there's also just like the history of of the cultural history of these things and you know why gin tastes the way it does and you know what are what are these sort of like you know anthropological um factors that go into you know why bourbon is defined the way it is um so that's so it's just a very rich kind of like topic mm-hmm. um and there yeah and i think that because it, it you know i think that like as opposed to another beverage category 
you know, I think probably coffee is, is, is the closest, but like, if you think about like beer or wine, like the person who is serving the beer or wine, you know, they're kind of transmitting something and there's a lot of skill and expertise and, you know, whatever, you know, it's very like, you know, very like, um, valid thing. But for me personally, to be able to put my own kind of authorship on the, on the end result is always like mm-hmm. kind of the, the thing. And I was always like the, I was like the, I would make like, you know, weird, like baked goods when I was five years old, you know, I was always like kind of into like tinkering and messing with things and like, um, like making stuff. Mm-hmm. So that it's that kind of, of tactile, you know, creation yeah. thing that you're, you can, it's sort of like, it, 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 it brings together like the cool parts of a lot of different things like cooking and, 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 you know, wine and producing of beverages and you kind of bring everything together, um, you know, in a way that's really, um, kind of endlessly rich. Yeah. I think that's a really good answer. I think that, that's true for me in cooking. Like I feel like, cause I love to read and I, I love books and I feel like with, yeah. um, with cooking, it was the first time I could t- take something I was reading in a book and like make it tangible. Like I could read mm-hmm. like, you know, a Marcella Hazan recipe that she wrote like 50 years ago. And then suddenly it would be in the kitchen and like t- tasting that same combination. Yeah. So yeah, there's an endless variety. So I'm curious, like, do you remember like when you, when you were out creating your own cocktails? Cause you talked about the act of creation. Like, do you remember like the first cocktail that you came up with that was an original or that was original to you? Well, I mean, well, so actually the first, this is going back to like my college days. I'm trying to think if there's anything in high school. No, high school, I don't think I did, I did anything. I think I just drank uh, Kahlua. But um, <laughs> I, like the first cocktail I can remember making is actually like Grasshopper. We watched out in college and we watched like Barbarella. Like, Grasshopper is like cream <laughs> and creme, creme de menthe. And I think there's some gin in there, maybe vodka, um, which is like, you know, those kinds of like ridiculous drinks always so appeal to me. I did, I did do some like, I don't even remember what it was, but there was some sort of turmeric drink that I did when I, when I, before I started bartending, I, I was based on something, I don't know, but like, but actually the first cocktail I tried to create at PDT was like actually undrinkable. And it was like <laughs> this very interesting lesson of just like, you can't go in without a plan. Um, and so I just sort of like, I just sort of like walked behind the bar and was like, I'm going to make a drink and like just pulled like two or three ingredients and was like, let's just put all these together and see what happens. And it was just like, not good um and what led me to like actual actually making my first cocktail uh which is um has appeared on the menu of pdt for a few a few times but it was called the norman inversion um and it's basically a french 75 uh with um apple schnapps uh, orange bitters and uh, norman apple cider yeah and that lesson that was the result of a lesson for me that I got from Jim Mian where it's kind of like look it's not really about just inventing a whole new drink out of nothing that it has no relationship to anything else mm-hmm. um, it's about you're you're seeing these repeating structures um, in cocktails I think it's another thing that's so fascinating to me about it is that it's like kind of similar to like music or you know writing um, <clears throat> where it's like even cooking you know it's like a sandwich like it has a you know it's like a sandwich structure like there's like mm-hmm. 
generally two pieces of bread and then there's some kind of like leafy thing and there's some kind of sauce and there's a thing and so it's like you know you're not going to make a, a a sandwich out of like watermelon rinds you know like that's just absurd <laughs> like maybe you could someone could but like that's right. just not normal like you basically want to like work within these established frameworks because they allow you to like re rely on structures that work but then still be mm -hmm. able to apply your own um creativity to it and like songs you know like chorus you know bridge whatever oh yeah even like um, story storytelling is like exactly that too. yeah 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 like beginning middle and end and like the hero right. or whatever um and so then i was like oh cool so i'm gonna find drinks that i like and then i'm gonna like find out why they work and how they're good and then apply my own creativity to that rather mm -hmm. than trying to just invent a new structure of cocktails which is just like you could do but maybe if you've been bartending for three months you should you know dial it down and watch uh, yeah so the norman inversion was my first drink um and it and has this that, like yeah it makes it, it also fits sort of like the whole literary thing that you were talking about at columbia it's like because there's a play on yeah. words there it's like norman invasion norman inversion and then yeah. like normandy is like apple and apple region so it's like right. there's a lot of language in there too mm -hmm. that you're playing with so that, that's kind of cool. and there's actually like in beyond that there's uh like a family connection too like my have like absurdly like long genealogy and one of my ancestors was in was one of um was in the battle of hastings wow yeah so yeah so it's like a so there's like a weird like welsh castle that's like a, basically a pile of rocks that <laughs> uh -huh. i'm like somehow vaguely connected to um so it was also a callback to that so when you like came up with that combination because i'm thinking about it, it's like apple is that apple brandy or apple schnapps was apple schnapps yeah so you had that apple flavor and then like you added the bitters to kind of give it like a little complexity and then the cider yeah. was to like reinforce the apple flavor or to kind of give it yeah so it's a substitute so basically it's like the french 75 is like gin lemon juice um and like sparkling wine like champagne mm -hmm. um and so the the champagne sparkle you know is sparkling obviously so you just sub that out for the cider yeah. and then the gin stays the same and then rather than using citrus you you use um the apple brandy as a sweetener um where usually there'd be simple syrup in the first 75 um so it's sort of like it's called the mr potato head method <laughs> like officially <laughs> yeah um, so you'll see like what's the base spirit of its gin that means you can maybe sub out for something else and like what's the sweetener and you kind of like rejigger everything um so when, when that within this yeah. yeah so when that debuted at pdt like were you like was it like opening night of a broadway show where you're like who's a gonna order bit. this yeah and were you yeah. like watching people drink it and see like what do they think like is this good is it popular like was that what you yeah was going I, I don't know if I, I don't know if i had it i don't know if i have any like specific memory of that but that's definitely how, how i would have felt yeah like like seeing the the menu printed and there's a little like you know mm -hmm. annotated uh you know spiel for the drink um yeah that's um, so cool so i mean i'm curious like if, if you were to go to somebody's house and they were to make you a cocktail or like if you were just observed like an average cocktail maker at home like what are the things that you would notice or that are like pet peeves or just general things that people do when they're making cocktails that that you think they could do better or that bartenders do or someone like mixologists do that are more skillful or so actually the thing i think that a lot of people that kind of doesn't bother me per, per se but it definitely like i wish people wouldn't they would i feel like people try to compare themselves to 
the drinks that they had at mm -hmm. these you know amazing world-class places and they kind of try to do too much mm -hmm. and they get discouraged or they're like really scared to like oh do you think this would be a lot of times people are like oh like hey john like i have these two things like do you think they'll be good together and i'm like i have no fucking clue like, just try it like, <laughs> like you're probably not gonna make like a lethal poison so like yeah sure like give it a try like that's you right. like it's it's and it's it's so rarely people you can tell that it's less about actual feedback on like oh well i think that the spirit and this thing won't be congruous or whatever and actually giving analytical feedback and more people just looking for permission mm -hmm. um for just to 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 experiment and to fail um because you know like if you think about these cocktails that are on these menus like I, some of these drinks uh you know my own personal experience or being around other people who are developing them there's like 15 20 shitty versions of that drink that you didn't taste until mm -hmm. <laughs> you right. arrived at the, at the menu so so um so take it kind of easy i think a lot of people need to take it a little bit easier on themselves at mm -hmm. least to start um, and you're talking about inventing a cocktail, but like, what about like, if I was to like make a Manhattan at home and I wanted to make it as good as the one I would get at like PDT or Momofuku or somewhere like, like, is I think that the same thing applies. I think a lot of times, like so much of what the experience is, is like the actual, like, you know, I think that any kind of culinary experience in hospitality is like 30% the ingredients and 70% everything else. So mm. the fact that someone else isn't making it for you is I'll, you know, kind of like you know, the sandwich that you make for yourself never really is as good as the one that, oh, wow. yeah. that you make that someone makes for you. Um, um, there's an element of surprise. It's also just nice not to do work. Um, and then the glassware and yes. is the ice the same? And how fresh is your bottle of vermouth? Um, do you have the same cherries or is the peel, you know, the little you know garnish as beautifully made as it is? Um, and so it's sort of like, I, I feel like there's like a, a casualness that, mm -hmm. that I like to approach with at-home drinking that I would never necessarily tolerate at a, like a fancy cocktail bar. And mm -hmm. so I think that, I think that that, that definitely, um, yeah, like it's sort of like you're at home, like you're, even if you're, I mean, if you're like having some like, you know, heads of state dinner, maybe you, you'd <laughs> want to like go, go a little get a little fancy but even when you have friends over for a dinner party it's always more casual um, um do you know and ben more Mims, personal the food oh, yeah, writer. absolutely yes so ben had us over recently and he made a cocktail or his partner made a cocktail and they had they had gotten ice cubes from the store that they, they live yeah. really close to the store that sells like nice ice cubes and it made such a difference i was so impressed yeah. when they served the cocktail it was like a big cube and i was like wow that's so yeah. fancy and it was all all it was was just a different ice cube <laughs> so but i was going to ask you when you okay. go to um, a restaurant like a hip new restaurant if you were like in la and you went to like bestia or that's not new but like bavel or something i'm just using la as a reference because i live here like I and mean, you were looking at the cocktail list and you wanted to order something to check it out like what do you gravitate to like what do you normally look for on a cocktail list if you want to try try out someone else's work uh, it really depends um to be perfectly honest like i rarely crave cocktails outside like at all honestly like it's just mm. it, it's just like it feels like work <laughs> <laughs> right so if i go okay. to if i go to a, if i go to a place where it's not really like 
you know, if I go to a place and it's like a friend is working there or I know, you know there's some backstory, there's a connection to, and I want to be able to like provide feedback or understand, you know, someone's point of view, then I'll definitely look to the menu. Um, and it's so hard to evaluate drinks based on them, what, how, their menu, how the menu is, is constructed. So I usually, like, I, I'm one of those people who looks at the menu for like four seconds and I'm just like, okay, like that's good. Yes, that's yeah, right. And just pick yeah. something. I'm like, I don't care. I'm yeah. not going to agonize over it. I'm not going to ask any questions. Like, just whatever. Uh-huh. Like, just give me, like, okay, that and that done. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. usually, just, just sort of wing it and just sort of see what happens um, rather than trying to overly manage the experience or think, overthink it too much mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a kind of a blank slate and, and a, sort of a kind of a secret shopper kind of mentality to it, in, it also. Um, but, like, my own personal preferences are usually something that's like kind of a little bit more like refreshing and like mm. pretty tropical, like, yeah, me yeah too. like acidity. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I've gotten to the point, I think we're in a lot of aspects of my life. It's just like kind of my own subjective enjoyment is like not really that important. And then mm. a lot of times I'll have a lot of fun and enjoy myself at like very bad restaurants where this like, yes. just, it's just a shit show. And totally. you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And you're just like watching it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, LA has like a, like this place called Casita del Campo, which is like a really fun, queer, like Mexican restaurant where it's, you don't go for the food, you just go for the atmosphere and the margaritas are like watered down and just sort of, you know, God, God knows what's in there. Um, but I was going to say, I had a cocktail at Bestia on our last trip there that was truly mind-blowing. It really blew me away. And I forgot what it was called, but it was like rhubarb amaro sardinian orange lime juice and simple syrup and i don't know what sardinian orange is even except i imagine it's just oranges from sardinia but it was so delicious like it was it was one of the few cocktails i've ever had where it like stayed with me and i wish i could recreate it um so i'm gonna investigate that i love uh rhubarb it's a zuka is one of them okay probably one of my favorites yeah it's chinese rhubarb actually um which is different from like rhubarb rhubarb Mm -hmm. um and um yes yeah, so my one of my favorite ingredients actually end up in uh the Remington spritz which is one of the drinks that i produce um okay and yeah you'll actually yeah i love that i love i love rhubarb um in amaro wait so tell us more about the drinks you produce because i saw that on your website um uh, so you have a company yeah so i started a company uh a year basically like a couple years ago um even though we launched the kind of full line of drinks in the middle of the pandemic in july of last year um the <laughs> drink the company it's called proto um and then i have uh two you know kind of entries in the line so far uh Rivington spritz is kind of like 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 i said it has um chinese rhubarb uh with uh, hibiscus gentian which is another very common uh amaro ingredient um chamomile uh strawberry and uh, champagne vinegar and yeah. then the other one uh, is sort of more on the um, like rich, uh, not rich, but like kind of more intense and uh, like savory food pairing um, end of things uh, called Ludlow Red. And it's got blackberry, black pepper, uh, roasted dandelion root, uh, fig vinegar, licorice, rose, wow. uh, and uh, yeah, blackberries. Yeah, fig vinegar. And are they meant to be just like... <laughs> 
pour it over ice and drink it straight or do you mix them? Yeah, they're, they sort of function. They have a similar kind of like usage as you would a wine in that they're kind of just out of the refrigerator or a wine chiller or whatever, like 30 to 40 degrees uh, into a wine glass. Uh, and that's kind of it in terms of just like what you need to do. I'm a, as a bartender, the idea of selling something, something to somebody that they then had to do additional work in order to get to the optimal point was just not an option for me so right it definitely ready to drink was where i wanted to go i wanted you to like i wanted to be able to transmit this like idea um you know completely uh so if they're ready to drink um maybe some ice if you want people mix it you know alcohol no alcohol it sort of can do a lot of different things but um for me it's really about creating uh, a drink that is a food pairing uh, mm-hmm. primarily um, that is easy to serve and has the same kind of intellectual interest and kind of culinary interest yeah. <laughs> as anything else, you know, so it's not necessarily meant to be a mimicry of, of any other, you know, not like, oh, it's like wine, but no alcohol, or oh, this is like gin, but no alcohol. It's really just its own thing. And um, Oh, so it's no just, alcohol? But no, there's like... no alcohol in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like, wasn't paying attention to that part of you describing all the things in it. I guess I heard like chamomile. It sort of incidentally happened. Vinegar. It sort of yeah. happened yeah. by accident because I was just playing around in my kitchen and very rarely do you have the sort of like a neutral alcohol to play around with. And yeah, um, I, for me, the non-alcoholic drinks were always interesting to me because in the beginning, really there wasn't really a lot of options for people like 10 years ago, if you walked sure. into the UT, and you ask for something with no alcohol, you'd be like, oh, Diet Coke, like, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so I always thought that that was a missed opportunity for a lot of places and still is. If you go to, go to the fancy bars right now and you ask what the, what's on their non-alcohol list, they'll make to scratch their head. Mm. Um, and, or be like, hey, we have orange juice and seltzer. And it's like, yeah, hey. exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so from a hospital, as a hospitality professional, that was always really important to me to, to be as accessible and, you know, available as possible. Um, and uh, also from a technical perspective, cocktails, drinks with alcohol in them have a lot going for them, mm-hmm. aside from the sort of the you know, psychological and physiological effects of drinking alcohol. Um, which people generally regard as, as pleasurable. Um, it's a it's a great substrate for flavors. So yes. it dissolves things more readily. It's a preservative. You know, compare if you put like, you know, a black tea in cold water, it's not really gonna do much, but if you put black tea in alcohol, it's gonna be, you know, black in 10 minutes, you know, because of the extraction mm-hmm. properties of alcohol and the solvent um, capabilities. So if you don't have that physical thing to rely on, it's really tough to make drinks that kind of are on the same level so mm-hmm. i think it's a lot why a lot of bartenders kind of avoided that for a while um and so for me it was a technical kind of personal professional challenge to be like oh i'm going to handicap myself and try to pull off something that's on the same level and do you sell it online or do you sell it mm-hmm. in stores yeah oh that's great so yeah people who want to online, find it yeah. yeah it's a yeah it's proto is spelled it's like prototype is how it's how you say it but it's p-r-o-t-e-a-u Okay. Um, basically sounds a little bit more drinkable than P-R-O-T-O. Um, <laughs> and uh, also we're, you know, at, uh, we're in the Momofuku restaurant in LA. We're uh, about to be uh, for sale in Canada, which is really surprising. I didn't think that would happen so quickly, but got lucky. Um, 
and yeah, online. And there's, there's also these tons of bottle shops that are popping up all over the country. There's like oh. specifically take catering to non-alcoholic products, which would have been impossible even two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like you wouldn't be able to buy enough things to have a whole store. It's real. Yeah. yeah. There's so it's like New York city has a bunch of them, but like all over like Texas, you know, Chicago, there's just, they're, they're popping up everywhere. And it's, I think it just speaks to like a lot of unmet need, both for people mm-hmm. who are kind of like as a lifestyle avoiding alcohol. But then also I think there's a lot of people, most people who are in the middle who are like, wow, like maybe like if I could have something that was just as satisfying, as a glass of wine or as a cocktail and I could like go to the gym after lunch or, you know, not right. wake up, you know, I'm feeling groggy. Like that's a really appealing option for a lot of people. Yeah. I think that we're seeing that, seeing that happening now. Uh, so how has your attitude about alcohol changed over the years? I mean, it sounds like you, I mean, obviously you're getting to the business of non-alcoholic beverages yeah. but for your own preference. Like, do you still enjoy a drink now and again? Is it something I you do? Love? Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I actually like, I love not drinking as much as I love drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of, like, it's like, I could, I could go back and forth and I frequently do. So like I, um, my parent, my dad, my dad, my dad is like a big, uh, is a big like wine guy. And I would always like, you know, just, I, yeah. Like I just knew what all this stuff was, you know, when I was like 15 against my will, mm-hmm. I was like that, but like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, you know, drinking is, you know, always like a big part of like family celebrations and it was, you know, kind of, and the wine, I think it's probably what set me up to do pretty well in the culinary world, just having a kind of a basic fluency with wine terminology and the kind of drink and kind of taste mm-hmm. and why these things are, are done this, the way they are. Um, and it's, you know, I definitely like was a, you know, like to party in college and all that. Uh, and then when you work in the industry and you have to, you're just sort of around alcohol all the time, it definitely becomes something else. It definitely like, you're, it's like, it, like going back to like cooking for yourself and a lot of like chefs and people like don't care. Like you, like a lot of these fancy bartenders, like will like at the end, I, I rarely did like the shift drink at the end of the night because I was always interested in going to sleep. But like people like bartenders <laughs> who create and serve like the most elegant and beautiful drinks and spirits and everything will like walk out of the bar and like have like five ounces of fireball. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so it just becomes like kind of this very, like it is just kind of over it, you know, in a way. Um, and so for me, it was really easy to like turn it off and on rather yeah. than like moderating. And then just sort of like a, consumer in general like one of if you if so if i had my if, if if we were actually like eating lunch together like i i try to like slowly eat and i basically wolf down i just like i'm like a garbage disposal so i just yeah. like drink it really fast um and so that's sort of like my overall kind of vibe of consumption is usually mm-hmm. very like bingy um and so i'll do i i would rather like have three or four nights of heavy drinking per month or like take i took all of 2020 off alcohol like i just didn't okay. drink all last year like i think a lot of people it. did that in the pandemic just because it got so yeah intense. i decided to do it beforehand yeah i i yeah. actually like i i do these like year like my dad is catholic and tried to make me catholic and it really didn't work but one of the things that um kind of stuck with me was like the fasting elements of like Lent and mm-hmm. Advent. And so I, I now do these like yearly fasts from various things. Like I did one where I didn't buy clothes for a whole year and then one where I didn't read 
I didn't read new books. I only found books that I'd read before to read again um, for a whole wow. year, which is actually, cool. actually that was so hard. That was really, really hard. Um, <laughs> actually psycholog- psychologically very bleak because I like ran out of books to read and I was like, oh I can't read anything. Like I don't right. like, <laughs> like there either a third time. So yeah. So it's always fun to discover like that kind of thing that you threw through restriction. And so I decided to do a year of no drinking um, in 2020. Like I decided to do it like in the middle of 2019 and I was like actually at like a new year's party at um night moves and I was like drinking champagne and it was like midnight and I was like finished the champagne and that was that I was done like I just like stopped drinking I was wow. just like all right that's it like 2020 and then the pandemic happened and I actually had the reverse thing where I when the pandemic you know crashed down around us um i also started a foundation to address quality of life issues for workers in the restaurant industry and when there was the first like weekend of the like march 12th 15th um when everything was shutting down we started a covid fund um to raise money for direct relief and for nonprofit grants and for a loan program so cool and it basically took over my me and my husband's entire life um for a long time and it was also very like not only was it we were on calls and raising money and like you know we raised seven million dollars since since then seven million dollars yeah wow congratulations that's amazing in the fund yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty intense and so that's been a huge transformation and but for the first like six weeks i I was basically working from like 7 a.m until 2 a.m like gladly you know it wasn't even like oh i can't believe i have to do this i was like this is awesome like we're raising all this money and like responding to emails and like setting all all these things that we needed to do because we were you know suddenly awash in in money and, and needed to get out the door fast and so i actually was like I need a way to kind of physically remove myself from the, this work. It was, it was like Friday and I, I felt like I felt like I was going insane. And I'm like, well, maybe if I like drink alcohol, I can like, that's sort of takes, you know, I can sort of yeah. like be like, okay, well, I'm just, I can't work anymore because I had two glasses of wine. Right. And so I tried that like a couple of weekends and I was like, hey, you know what, actually no. And so I like, gave myself a few I like sort of experimented with drinking again because I was like well who knows the world's gonna end and like I needed to like you know, you're yeah. not going anywhere you're stuck in your house and you basically go from your couch to your desk if you have one and it, um I needed a way to disconnect and then I found that it didn't, didn't actually do anything for me it just made me feel like shit the next day so yeah I mean well, my husband started making cocktails experience. like during the pandemic and I think we're good because we, we're good at like self-moderating like you know he would make one or two and then we'd stop him I think my friends who struggled during the pandemic were ones who couldn't stop themselves like they would you yeah. know op- open a bottle of wine and finish it at night and it's like they would Easily. feel like yeah. crap in the morning so yeah. um well that's so cool that you started that foundation I was actually going to ask you like working as a bartender did you witness a lot of bad behavior or did were you treated badly by certain people you know did were the customers mostly well behaved well, I was very lucky to work at a very kind of revered spot. You know, I never worked at a place where someone could just walk in out of the street, like any asshole could just walk in and, and, and be a jerk. You know, it was yeah. very, the, the crowd was very filtered, um, both by just the, the kind of, the kind of place that it was. Um, and then there's the door policy, there's the host, there's mm-hmm. reservations. Like if you're, if you're like an impatient asshole and you just want to have a bad time and someone and you go to a bar and they say it's going to be three hours until you can get to sit down, you're just going to go somewhere else. So it's usually, 
And then the people who have been waiting for three hours, they're like so excited to be there. Right. They like completely are like, oh my God, they're like, it's like, it's like they're in like the, like heaven, you know? Yes. So it's really lucky <laughs> that I got everyone who was just super, they really had to want to be there in order to, in order to show up. So I got really lucky and I didn't have to deal with a lot of bad behavior um, at the bar. And also as a bartender, I think that it's a very great position to be physically separated from from, from your guests. Yes. Um, and then you're also in control of their drinks. So they don't want to fuck with you too much. So how'd you cut um, people off before? Like, did you have to stop? Yeah. People? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was probably, that was, that was kind of, those are usually when people get cut off. I don't know. I, I, I haven't thought about like the, the most graceful way to, to cut people off in, in a while. And my line when I cut people off was, you, and this is true, it wasn't necessarily um, like a line, but it was like, basically like if someone else in the, in that I'm working with expresses a concern, then I'm, there's nothing, I have no choice. Like I can't be like, oh, you know, it's fine because if something happens, then there's like a chain of accountability where like, if you walk out the door and you get hit by a car and then your BAC is whatever, and we served you five drinks when before we served you, the host or the server gave me a look and was like, "Those are those people okay? That means I just decided to serve them anyway. So there's really just no question. So it's just like, mm -hmm. what I would usually do is just, I would never, it, it never would be like a request. It would never be um, something that was like negotiable. It was just like, hey, this is what's going to happen. Like, we can't serve you. Like, we're, I'm, I'm legally is, I'm not allowed to serve you right now. Mm -hmm. And that's not what, what's, and that's not, up for debate um i don't care what you say like it's just and it's fine like we've all been there but like someone expressed a concern to me and i can't ignore that and whether or not you're shit-faced or you've had nothing to drink it doesn't matter to me because yeah. that's just that's in the past and so you can, you can hang out yeah you can hang out you can have water you can have anything else cancer view cocktails you can have hot dogs and then yeah. that's it like you're yeah. you know we should say, by the way, for people who don't know that PDT is in a, you go through a phone booth in the hot dog place called Criff Dog. Yeah, right? that's right. And so I used to go yeah. to Criff Dogs and go to the phone booth and you like, you lift up the phone and then they say like, yeah, three hour wait. So we never waited, but right. one day I'll go. Well, so John, this flew by. Um, every podcast begins with what did you have for lunch, but it ends with what are you having for dinner tonight? What am I having? So for dinner tonight, I have a, I have like a, um, I'm excited tonight because it's the first, um, the premiere of the first season of Survivor since. Ooh, yeah, a lot of people I know watch that. Yeah. So, and I didn't know about it until Monday, and I'm really excited. And I, but I'm also scheduled to do a yoga class, and so I'm like, I have basically like 45 minutes to get out of the class and get home, and then mm -hmm. like watch. So, like, I will probably have something equally like space food dirt baggy, where it's like <laughs> there might be some like butternut squash in the refrigerator that I'm just gonna like literally microwave it. I, maybe I'll have some hot, some tofu hot dogs. Okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> nothing fancy. Um, so what do you eat? What do you eat when you're not feeling dirt baggy? Like what do you cook? Like when you with heads of state are coming over for dinner or like you do have to impress people or you're trying to be fancy. Yeah. Like I always do like really over the top stuff actually. So like, <clears throat> Um, it's been so long since I've had people over for dinner. I can't even, I can't even remember. 
Well, okay. So here's an example. I think the last time I cooked for people was like 2020 June. It was my husband's birthday. Um, and we had a picnic in the kind of like courtyard of our building between our two buildings. And I made sourdough. I, I accidentally bought a hundred pounds of sourdough on the internet. A um, <laughs> hundred pounds of sourdough? Yeah. I, I just like saw two bags and I'm like, sure, bag, whatever. And it was like from this restaurant supply stores that then started to do home deliveries. Like, yeah. Like I did the and, same thing with flour, but I bought like three 25 pound bags of flour, but that's 75 mean? pounds. That's not that much. Yeah, that's not far off. No, I know, but you got a hundred percent sourdough. What does that even mean? Like the, the finished dough? Like when you say no, sourdough. No, no, I bought flour. I, I bought, oh, flour, I bought flour. flour. Okay. And then, yeah. so I got really a lot of practice mm. on making sourdough. So I made sourdough and I made like a the milk bar birthday cake cake. Mm, yeah. Um, so I like to do like recipes for for that kind of stuff like Mm -hmm. my mom like has this like binder of like like clippings from like 1969 gourmet magazine and so i love to like when i'm doing like a uh like a meal for people i'll like do a recipe um whether you know it's from the internet or you know a book or something like that um because it's sort of like a it's like watching a movie or putting on a piece of music you know mm-hmm. where you're like hey let's check out this thing that i'm like kind of translating to you um and you can kind of talk about it um but i also love to do like <clears throat> absurd things like i did deep friday plus that's a fun one wow that sounds very yeah. decadent so so a plus is, that kind of like stinky french cheese and then you yeah did you batter it yeah i i, I did, a, did a a wash of and then um you know uh breading and then just like <laughs> yeah I like to make french love, fries yeah. that's always fun yeah like things that are like yeah like uh or like i'll do like um i used to cook i used to cook uh new year's eve dinner for my my whole family like we had mm-hmm. like 14 people in like our 18 square, 800 square foot apartment which you can like see it's like it's oh, wow. okay. nice but not like you know 14 people as tight and so i'll do i would do like a mix of like <clears throat> I would get the bosom from Momofuku, mm-hmm. like the pork shoulder. And then I would like cook like mashed potatoes and all sorts of like gingerbread oh, houses yeah. like that. So um, I say that it's, yeah. it's like, it's very like the pattern is very obvious where it's like, uh, it's either like zero all or nothing. Like in yeah. Every Feast or famine. It makes it really fascinating. Yeah. yeah either you're like, going for it or you're just like shoving a hot dog in your mouth. Um, well, that's really, yeah. so do you feel as confident as a cook of like savory food as you do as a mixologist? Like, do you, do you feel like your food is, is on the same level? Uh, I don't think I have the same literacy in terms of like the kind of authorship and reference and sort of like, Oh, well, this is something that someone else did or like, here's like mm-hmm. how a meal foy works or, you know, lots of kind of the more right. academic kind of like backstory on all this stuff. But I feel like from a technical perspective, I, I feel like I'm good, good at executing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever pair the food that you make with, I know you don't like to do mixology at home, but if you're having people over <laughs> or it's like a dinner party, like, will you yeah. make a cocktail to go with the food? I don't, uh, maybe usually I'll do like a aperitif, like pre-dinner drink cocktail. Oh. And then I love, I'm like a big, like sparkling wine champagne person. Got it. Um, so that's always for me a good, my go-to like meal pairing is like a bubbly wine because it's just so versatile. Um, 
That's a good and idea. And it's also, if I'm serving food, like the t- cocktails are hard because it's a like big timing thing. So like if I'm plating and serving and having the food ready at a certain time, I don't also want to be worrying about right. like, Oh my drinks, god! So my like... husband is like in the kitchen, like because he he's gotten to the point now where like he's realized that if he makes a cocktail, he can get some attention too, which is fair because I'm always cooking everything and he wants some of the limelight. No but yeah. my thing is like he like opens like five bottles and then like leaves them on my cutting board with like ice melting, and then it's like I go back into the kitchen. And I'm like, <laughs> can you please put your stuff away? Um, yeah. I, I was gonna say as as a farewell or as you know maybe like a final gesture. Do you have? a cocktail this is this is putting you on the spot so please like don't stress out but is there just like a little something that you could tell our listeners might be a good fall cocktail or just something to like kick off the the new season or just something you're excited about lately yeah you well you mentioned them you mentioned the manhattan um and you're also i'm getting like like um secondhand anxiety about like cooking and then making cocktails and then yes. having two people doing it at the same time which is just like yeah it's a lot unimaginable of to me it's, yeah. yeah it's a lot but uh for so for me like my what i like and it also it takes some of the pressure off um is to like sandbag stirred drinks especially now that the weather is a little bit cooler and you're not looking for those like shaken daiquiri margarita drinks um so just like if i if i were to do a cocktail that was paired with a meal and i'm you know, I'm already worried about timing of, 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 the, of the food. I would just like make a Manhattan, make like a huge batch of Manhattans, like literally make like, like a 750 of whiskey, like a half a bottle of vermouth, bitters, put it all together, add the water, throw it in the freezer. And then it's just good to go. You have like a pre-batch Manhattan ready, ready to pour. So mm-hmm. that way you can just like, if you're pairing a stirred drink with, um, with a meal, you can just like, pull the bottle out and it just works the same way you would a bottle of anything else love that so that's, so a, that's a good workaround when you said water is that a typical ingredient in a manhattan yeah yeah because you're stirring with ice and that's how you get yeah. water into the drink so the dilution is really important um so about a quarter yeah. of any drinks volume is going to be water uh, whether it's from stirring or shaking um, because you're refrigerating or you're freezing it so you're not yeah. putting you're not you're not adding ice exactly. later yeah yeah. Oh my God. See, I'm learning so much. Well, John, thank you so much for uh, taking the time <laughs> sure. to let me analyze your lunch. And I hope I get to meet you someday in real life. Yeah. All Likewise. Right. Well, have a great day. And thanks again. All right. Thanks. Bye.